Before I begin, I wonder, um, can I, Amelie, can I embarrass you for just a moment? Would you come here for just a second? Okay. Um, I'm going to refer to the reading that Amelie did earlier um, in what I'm going to share with my talk. And the thing that got me a little bit emotional when you were doing your reading is thinking that Mary would have likely been something like your age. Which is just, I mean, I don't know about, I just want to point that out to everyone because that's amazing to think about what she was going through. Thank you. Can, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, by the way, the, um, in the Sunday morning services this morning, um, both Tim and Katie said, oh, it'll be fantastic because Sean will be preaching. So no pressure. <laughs> um, let me pray as, as I begin. Father, I pray that you would um, help me as I open and communicate your word for everyone here. I pray that you would bless this right now, that you would meet people where they are and take them on with you. I pray that you would open our eyes to many stories that you are writing in many lives and help us to connect to your bigger story. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, let me start, if you don't mind, by just sharing with you kind of a personal story that you'll hopefully see how it connects with what I'm sharing with you later on, okay? And there's, I hope I can share this story well. I've shared part of it, I think, before in this church before, but not like in full. And there's a lot of moving parts in the story, so hopefully I share it well. Um, but first of all, so first I need to mention that the, the church where I became a Christian was like a half an hour drive away from where I lived at the time. And I was really surprised at one point to meet a lady in this church, um, a nice older lady. Um, and the thing that surprised me was that she lived in Chancellor Manor, okay, which is where I was from, a half an hour drive away. Of, uh, it was a church of like 2,000 people. She was the only person I ever met that, that had come from Chancellor Manor, which was like this rough neighborhood, that sort of thing, okay? I'll come back to her, okay. Now, my, my mother was growing in her faith, and it was, it was super exciting what was happening in her life. And my mother, one Sunday, invited my sister to come with her to church. And my sister declined, and then when my mother came back from church, uh, my sister was blaring her music, okay? And so my mother went up to her bedroom and uh, told her to turn it down. She didn't turn it down, so she went into the room, and she was going to take this, like, boombox away, okay? My sister grabbed onto the handle of the boombox. My mother had the handle of the boombox. They did a bit of a tug of war sort of move. And in that moment, my sister kicked my mother in the knee and broke her kneecap. Right? By the way, mom, sis, if, if either of you are watching, <laughs> hope you don't mind me sharing. Um, so um, what followed from that were a few things. It gets worse. Um, <laughs> My mother couldn't take care of herself, so she went to stay with a friend. My sister promptly ran away from home. So she was something like 14 years old at the time, okay? I'm away at university. I come back from university a week later. So I'm a week until, my sister's been gone that entire time. Um, it gets worse. <laughs> the boyfriend that she's run away with is a Satanist um, who's uh, like, like, I knew a whole bunch of stuff about him, really horrible guy, okay? And so things seem really bad. And so I come back home for the weekend, <laughs> uh, and, the, um, 
At one point on the Saturday night, I'm talking um, to my mother on the phone, and I'm saying some of the stuff about this guy. And my friend Scott, again, it's hard to get the scale of where the distance between places, but my friend Scott overhears just a part of the conversation. Kind of his, his face sort of turns a bit pale because he knows the person I'm talking about. It's like a whole another half an hour drive in a whole different direction where he's met this guy in a restaurant and was so freaked out by who this guy was that it really stood, it stuck in his memory and he knows exactly who this guy is, okay? Um, so what Scott and I do that Sunday, so again, a week on from all this stuff happening, a week on, Scott and I, um, Scott's sort of a mentor to me, him and I go driving looking for my sister. Like we're driving to places where they might be, to houses, knocking on doors, all over the place. And we're completely coming up with nothing. And finally, we give up, and I'm going to drive back to university. It's about midnight. And I stop by my mother's house, and I just, like there's no one there, because she can't take care of herself, so she's not there. But I walk in the door, and the phone rings. And there's a few things in this already that feel kind of like God things. The fact that Scott knew this guy was mind-blowing. I walk in the door, the phone rings, I pick up the phone, it's my mother, and my mother says, now remember, this is after a day of searching for my sister. Um, my mother says, I know where she is, and she tells me, she tries to describe to me how to find the place where she is, and it's literally about a two or three minute walk away from her house, okay? So I walk to this house, and it's a party house. Like, there are lots of people there, there are lots of things happening in this house. And I walk, I kind of, I'm kind of praying <laughs> like crazy. And I just walk right into this house without like the doors you know, open. Just walk right in and I start looking around the house trying to find my sister. I finally find my sister and I sit down right in front of her and I look her right in the eye and I say, there's a God that made you, who loves you, who wants better than this for you. Like I'm pleading with her to come home. Meanwhile, this boyfriend takes out a butterfly knife, if you know what that is, takes out a butterfly knife and starts playing with it. Goes around behind me and behind my head I can hear him playing with this knife. And meanwhile, I'm just focusing on my sister. There's a God who loves you, like pleading with her to come home. And she says no. And I walk out of that house and I walk back to my mother's house. Again, in this place where there's loads of big apartment buildings. I walk back to my mother's house. And it's kind of like, God, what, what are you doing? Like, what's going on, right? And I'm there at my mother's house, and I'm about to get back into my car. And all of a sudden, this old lady in her dressing gown from two floors up says, Sean, God woke me up. What am I doing out here? <laughs> now, by the way, I knew she lived in Chancellor Manor. What I didn't know is that she lived directly above my mother. Completely weird. And I'm standing there going, looking up at this lady in her dressing gown, going, and I literally said to her, I don't know. Right? And then I told her what had happened with my mother, and I told her what had happened with my sister. Now, let me fast forward a little bit. 
Because in what was happening there, there's actually a whole bunch of stories. And sometimes you get pictures, you get windows into seeing sometimes what God is up to. The lady that, that lived directly above my mother was low on food and didn't have much food to eat. My mother had plenty of food but couldn't take care of herself. So fast forward a little bit and what happens is that lady's gonna have enough food and my mom's gonna have someone to take care of her because they're gonna eat meals together, okay? Um, my sister that night, I think it was that night, uh, is when they actually went to a graveyard to do something. In the middle of what they were doing, she thought, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm going home. And she looked for an opportune moment to get away and to go home. And when she came home, she had an experience, like, I've, you know, this is really rare, but she had an experience with Jesus in her bedroom. I'm not even kidding, where she felt like Jesus met her in her bedroom and, and she just, and she prayed and she, like, fast forward just a little ways. And my mother and my sister got baptized together on the same Sunday at the church where I became a Christian. Right? Every now and then you get to see part of a story that God is writing. And when, it's happen when it happens, it's fantastic and it's exciting. And let me just say that even tonight, God might be writing a story in your life. He might be, or you may have stories or examples of times where God has been at work. By the way, seeing God at work like this is not just the purview of Christians. <laughs> tonight, you might be here and you might think, well, I don't know if I call myself a Christian. That doesn't mean that God's not working in your life and trying to draw you to himself. Um, I think what can help as Christians, though, is we get, we get better at having our eyes opened to what God might be doing, okay? In our story, Mary is in this crazy moment where God is at work. And so, like, check this out. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, can you imagine being a pregnant virgin? <laughs> like, I've got questions. Um, like, I don't, you know, obviously, I don't know what it's like uh, to be pregnant. Um, 2,000 years ago, like, how would you be really sure, you know? Um, at this point, Mary, she's just, she's just a young girl, as I've mentioned before. What's going on? She's having weird food cravings, like, I love olives, I hate olives. How many food options do they have? Um, but... What helps here, of course, is that an angel comes to meet with her. And we're, and we're told this. This comes just earlier in Luke. She's told this. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Check this out. Mary's head must be spinning on multiple levels, right? Like on a relationship level. What will Joseph think? What will people think? Will they think she's been unfaithful? There's, a, there's another level, like what's happening in her own body. She has this baby growing inside her. This will be her son. And then finally, think about what is said about this baby. He will be called Son of the Most High. He will have the throne of his father, David. Her head must be spinning. She finds herself right in the middle of a story that God is writing. And so Mary goes to see her cousin Elizabeth 
um, I think it likely that Mary composed the prayer that we had read earlier on her journey. Like she's traveling 70 miles on foot, likely a four day journey without headphones. Um, and so, and, and Mary's in, again in this middle of the story that God's writing and so her heart is overflowing. And the words that we get are, are the overflow of what she's feeling. And so we read some things like this from what she says. Uh, Luke 1, 46, and Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Like she starts this prayer or poem or song, we don't know, by saying that the depths of her, her spirit, her soul, glorify God as they rejoice. Like this joy is bubbling up from, with, from deep within her. She describes God as her savior and she re refers to herself as being humbled, essentially, as she plays her part in what God is doing. And then as well, she goes on in what she's saying to describe God. And the ways that she describes God is fantastic. Again, it, I think it flows out of what she's experiencing. So she says, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those that fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. Think about what she's just said. God is the mighty one who's done mighty deeds. That's a description of his power. She says, holy is his name. Holiness is part of God's nature. And, but God is not just holy and powerful. Otherwise, we might feel distant from God or just fear God. Instead, she also describes God as merciful. She says his mercy extends to those that fear him from generation to generation, or essentially over and over throughout time. And then she moves to this big picture awareness of what God has done, and it's foreshadowing what God will do. And, and so we get this in verses 51 to 55. We get, um, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scouted, scattered those who are proud. Verse 52, brought down rulers from their thrones, lifted up the humble, filled the hungry. Like there's loads of things that she's put, packed into these verses. And it's an acknowledgement of God's character in what he has done. But it also hints at the significance of this baby in her womb. Like what does it mean? for this baby to sit on the throne of her father, David. There's no way she can possibly understand this. But it's clear that God has a history of turning things upside down. And there's a future coming where God is going to turn things upside down with this baby. Like she builds to using these words that some have said could be used to describe a revolution. <laughs> The mighty will be brought low, the lowly will be exalted. William Temple, Archbishop of Canterbury, warned the missionaries in India never to read this passage in public. People in India were already suspicious of Christians, and so they were cautioned against how these verse, verses might be heard. And of course we, 2,000 years later, can see more of the story that God was writing. Jesus came to be king of a spiritual kingdom. He was born, died, and rose again so that he could save us from our sin. 
He came as the full expression of God's mercy in our time of need. Tonight, by the way, if you don't know that you're forgiven through Christ, there's good news. God wants you to know that, which is so cool. Jesus died and rose again so that you could know that, so that you could know God's mercy. And see, the thing is tonight, I don't know, of course, I don't know your story. But here's what I do know. I do know that God is writing lots of stories. And God, he, he might even be wanting to meet with you or connect with you, or tonight might even be part of your story. And your story is meant to fit with this bigger story that is being written across time, in which Jesus is our salvation, in which we come to know why we are created, why we exist, and who we are supposed to live for. And so my prayer for you tonight is that you would come to know Mary's awareness in how she was able to know God as powerful, holy, and merciful. That you'd be able to call God your Savior as she did and know that you've been saved through Jesus. And that we would know Jesus and understand the significance of how this baby would change the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what we find in Mary's words. Thank you for the ways her head was spinning and all that she was coming to understand. And I pray that you would help us to connect with it, that you would meet with us. I pray that you would open our eyes to things that you are doing and have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.